For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it mercifully and cheerfully. The word of the Lord. Uh, it's been uh, an incredible week. It's been an exciting week uh, in the life of our church here. A lot's going on. A lot's changing. We told you last Sunday at our congregational meeting that Mark Toombs will be the next pastor here at Rockwell Prez, but also that he's bringing his church with him, and that Christ's Covenant will be uh, and Rockwell Prez will be merging together as one church. And your support in the midst of all of that has been incredible. Your excitement has been told to them, and they're excited that you're excited, and then we're excited that they're excited, and so I think it's all going to work out uh, quite well. But also, Mark, too, is, is encouraged by uh, just your support of him. He knows he's coming into a place uh, that's giving him open arms, uh, and is, he's going to be received so well. So we were excited to roll all of that out to you last week, but uh, we got more good news this week. On Tuesday, we got a call that we have been waiting for for the last year and a half. Uh, we got a call from the city of Rockwall that all easements have been approved, all proposals have been approved, and on October 23rd, we will be closing on the brand new church property. And so we are incredibly excited about that. Yeah. Uh, of all weeks for that to happen, uh, when it rains, it, it pours. And, and quite frankly, I was telling the elders, that God's blessed us so much that uh, we're just trying to keep up. And really, I think, you know, in light of that news, might the first thing we do is to offer thanks together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have been good to us in all things. And these recent months are just an extension of the way that you've already been good to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for Mark. We thank you for Christ's covenant. And we thank you for the opportunity to have this property so that we might continue not to build a monument, but to be a place of ministry, to be a place of healing, hope, and renewal. Might we respond to your goodness to us by seeking to offer more of our lives and to be a true living sacrifice together. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us in all things, and we ask it in your name. Amen. All right, last week we uh, finished up the book of Philippians, and this week we're starting a new uh, short three-week sermon series in uh, Romans chapter 12 that we've entitled Called to Community. And I'm excited because I've got some good tag team partners in this series. Uh, next week we're going to be hearing from David Foster, and the following week uh, we'll be joined by uh, Mark Toombs, which will actually be one week before his official starting date. And I told him not to blow it. I also congratulated him on being the chairman of a brand new fundraising campaign at Rockwell Press. 
Now, uh, we scheduled this series back at the beginning of the year, and who would have thought all that would have transpired in the life of our church by the time we actually got to it. And it couldn't come at a more perfect time. What better time to consider community than now? How over the next three weeks we will be preparing to welcome Christ's covenant into our church family. What are we inviting them into here at Rockwell Press? But also in light of just the, the wonderful, fantastic news about the property, we can still choose to remember first and foremost who and what we're called to be as God's people. We can choose to remember that God wants to build us into a people that are far more beautiful than any building that we could ever engineer and be reminded that we are ultimately to be built into a place of ministry. We're not called to build monuments. As we begin this series, I recognize the fact that we uh, also are jumping right into the middle of the densest book of the Bible. And so we need to set the stage a little bit as we consider Romans 12 these next three weeks. So we're going to start with verse 2. Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So right up front, for us to be the community that God has called us to be, we have a decision to make. Will we be conformed to the, image, or to the pattern of this world, or will we be transformed in the renewal of our minds? To understand that, though, we probably ought to try and figure out what Paul means when he says, according to the pattern of this world. What does it actually mean? What is this world? What does he mean by that? Elsewhere in the book of Galatians, Paul calls it this present evil age. So we need to do about 60 seconds of heavy lifting. In Paul's teaching throughout the New Testament, he teaches that there are two eras. There's two ages, two epochs that define reality, that define existence. The first is this present evil age that began when Adam fell. And as a result of that, this world was corrupted by sin and death and rebellion. But there's also a second age. And that new age dawned in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this new age is marked by God putting everything to rights, making all things new, and bringing his kingdom, his world, into this one. And so right now, we live in the last days which means that we live during the period of time in which both of these ages overlap. One is fading, and the other one is growing. One is growing dim, the other one is growing brighter. So, with that in mind, again, when Paul warns not to be conformed to the pattern of this world or this age, what does that pattern actually look like? What's the pattern? At the, from, the, from the outset, we actually see that pattern. You can find the blueprint for the pattern of this world in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. We're told what it looks like from the very beginning. So Genesis 1, we start in the garden with God at the center, filling all of life with beauty, purpose, peace, and vitality. Then we have the fall, and mankind begins on a trajectory where he slowly moves away from God more and more and more. And that, that move away from God ultimately culminates in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. And what do we see? Mankind decides to build a monument to their own glory 
They never even mention God, nor does he even factor in to their plans. God is not even mentioned. That's the pattern of this world. That's the pattern of this present evil age, where eventually God gets completely worked out of the equation. He's no longer even considered. And when that happens, all that you're left with is individualism. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, living by their own authority. And if there is any sense of the divine that remains, it's simply one that's made in their own image. That's the pattern. Now, if we fast forward to Romans 1, Paul talks about the same thing in his day, how this pattern is alive and well, where the world around him had factored God out of the equation, because now, instead, they worship images of their own making. They traded truth for lies. They suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness. They're unwilling to hear the truth and devoted to untruth. They trade natural relations for unnatural relations. They're consumed with passions of every kind. They were haters of God, envious, rivalrous, prideful, greedy, ruthless, hostile, malicious, angry. The list goes on. Now, if we fast forward again, it doesn't sound much different than our day. You know, all of that just sounds like a lot of what you can see each and every time you scroll through your Facebook feed or you look through your daily news cycle. The pattern is very much alive and well in our day, producing the same individualism where God is either completely factored out or he's conveniently made in our image. And we use him to justify our plans, our purposes, our worldviews. So the authority of God seems to no longer apply to sexuality, marriage, the way that we engage others, or to issues of justice and mercy. Babel is built each and every day. So we certainly see that in our surrounding culture, but we also see it in the church. The pattern has filtered its way into the life of God's people. I mean, quite frankly, we've become so focused on just at large, the church at large, so focused on experience, and we lose transcendence. We've become so focused on entertainment rather than engaging our neighbor. We cater to individual taste and preference and comfort, so much so that we might as well serve popcorn. And honestly, you know, you might think I'm being a little bit harsh, but consider this. Recently, Barna did a study. And they, when they asked each person if they had heard of the Great Commission, 51% of churchgoers said they had never heard of the term. 51% of churchgoers said they had never heard the term, the Great Commission. That is staggering. That's like 50% of the people that work for whatever company you work for, work in 10 years, 25 years, and they still have no idea what the company sells, or what the company does. That is a staggering statistic. The death knell has sounded on Western Christianity. And you might think that that other half that said they did know what the Great Commission was might offer some reassurance, but they don't. Only 17% could actually articulate what it was. 17% of the very purpose of why we gather as God's people. Now, I get I'm soapboxing a little bit, but at some point, the church has to seri seriously consider, why are we so surprised that the Western church is decreasing so rapidly when we don't look and feel any different than a nightclub or a movie theater 
and we cater to comfort and all of those sensibilities just like the rest of the world. If we really offer nothing different, then we will not find our way into people's time or schedules. Because when the church caters to self, then the church will no longer sacrifice. And when the church loses sacrifice, the church loses Jesus. And the church loses his purposes. And all we're left with is our own. And Paul's warning to the Roman church is just as true for us as it was for them. We have to be careful to not be shaped by the pattern of this world. Where God slowly gets factored out. God slowly gets removed. We slowly take his place. And when that happens, death blooms. But instead, in this passage, Paul tells us that there's a transforming power that's available to us. It's the one thing we all want. New life, transformation. And he says that is available to us. Why? Because another age has broken into this world. And it's marked by those who desire more of God, not less. It's marked by those who desire to choose to live under his reign, his rule, and his authority in all things. So in verse 2, Paul challenges us with one of two options. We can either be shaped by the patterns of this world, or we can be a people shaped by the world to come. We can either factor God slowly out of the equation, or we can seek to bring him into our lives more and more and more and be transformed. And to summarize all of that, with the words of John the Baptist, the pattern of this world says, God must decrease and I must increase. But for those that belong to this new world, we say he must increase and I must decrease. Now, all of that is a backdrop to get us situated. And Paul spends the rest of the chapter, and we'll spend the rest of this series, talking about what it looks like to be a people that do belong to this new age, this new community, in Christ, to be a people that are transformed by the renewal of the mind, because something has to change about the way that we think. Something has to change about our logic. And so in today's passage, we can break it down into two categories. We're called to be a holy people, and we're called to be a humble people. Holy and humble. And I got my points to alliterate this week, so we are off to a good start. Holy people. Verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And other translations uh, translate that as this is your reasonable worship. And that's a great translation. This is your reasonable worship. Now, anytime you see Paul use the word therefore, it always means the same thing. It means he is going to apply everything that he has just explained. So when you see Paul say, therefore, it means that in light of everything that he has just said, this is how you should then live. And this therefore in verse 1 is the biggest therefore in the entire New Testament. Because Paul has just spent 11 chapters from Romans 1 through 11 explaining the overarching purposes of God throughout human history to redeem rescue, and restore his people. And the full revelation of what God is doing in the world and what is pleasing to him is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul summarizes all of that with the phrase, in view of God's mercy. So he says, therefore, in view of all that God has done 
to reconcile you to himself. In view of God's mercy, what? He says, present your bodies, your whole being, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Now that language would have been very radical to Paul's audience. It would have been a new thought. Because most of his uh, audience, most of the Roman church, were Jewish converts. And so they're very familiar with this language of living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because it's actually Old Testament language that was used to describe the sacrificial animal that the priests offered in the temple. So even though Paul is using old language, he's saying something very new. He's saying, in light of what God has done, in light of God's mercy towards you, you are now the living sacrifice. In light of everything that God has done, now you crawl on the altar. Your entire being is to be a sacrificial offering to God. Every arena, every aspect, every area, every corner of your life. And think again how, much, how radical that would have been for his audience. No longer is worship confined to the temple. No longer are sacrifices only offered by the priest. Worship is no longer confined to a special people or a special place. God's people are no longer identified by those things. Because in view of God's mercy, worship has now come out of the temple and into the town square, into every single corner and area of life. And so in this new age, how are God's people identified? Well, they're identified by those that answered the responsibility and call to devote their entire being to God. Their life, their job, their marriage, their family, all of it is supposed to be heaped up on that altar and asked God to consume it and ask for it to be a pleasing offering in his sight. It's taking all of life and putting it under his authority. And Paul says very simply, this is the most reasonable thing that you can do. In light of everything that God has done for you, this is really the only thing that makes sense. And the fact that God would die for you, God himself giving his life for you. All that he asks is for everything in return. And Paul says, in view of that, the new logic by which we operate is to give him everything. The new logic by which we operate is to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, you know, the problem is we know that. We nod our heads at that. We agree with that. But we can also yawn at that, you know, because we, we hear and know of God's mercy. We're Christians. We know of that yet we still go back to being shaped by the patterns of this world and we can slowly remove God from the equation of life and we live instead how we want. Paul is talking to Christians, which means we can still be professing believers yet still factor God out of the equation and think first and foremost about what seems good to us in all of these other arenas and areas of life. And so we start to boil things down to our own logic. And so we start to treat living sacrifice as though it means you know, attending church once a month if the schedule allows. Or a living sacrifice is for whenever we want God to do something for us. Or it's whenever, you know, living sacrifice applies when we go through a hard season and we want God's help. Or it means giving when it makes sense for our budget. Or being a living sacrifice is an insurance policy when we want to make a new investment. And Paul is trying to teach to us that for us to be the community that can lay claim to gospel promises, 
For us to be the community that God has called us to be, what separates us from the world has to be more than an hour a week and a little bit of time and a little bit of energy. And this is why he says we have to be renewed in the way that we think. Because our logic will always justify an hour a week, a little bit of time here, a little bit of energy there, and we'll always think that that's good enough. And this is at the heart of Paul's warning. He's saying, look, don't hear everything that God has done for you in Jesus Christ just to go back to the pattern of this world and simply factor God back out. He says, instead, now, be transformed by factoring God back in. Bring him back into your marriage. Bring him back into your parenting. Bring him back into your relationships. Bring him back into your commute every morning. Bring him back into every meal that you eat and the way that you spend all of your time. And he says that is how we begin to experience transformation because we now are living under what God says is good. Now we are bringing his authority into every aspect of life and asking him to fill it and to consume it just like that animal on the altar. And what God fills, God transforms. What God fills, he brings renewal and hope and transformation and new life. We are called to be a holy people. And secondly, and more simply, we're called to be a humble people. Verses three through five. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Or another translation is think of yourself with accurate judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Wow. There's a lot there. But in short, what's Paul saying? He's basically saying that pride in this new community are going to be really bad dance partners. Pride doesn't have any place in this new community that God is forming. Because to be a part of this new community, you have to change the way that you think about yourself in the way that you think about others. Because this new community, to get the most of God out of what God is doing in the life of this new community, things have to change. Because it runs contrary to the patterns of this world. You know, where you just evaluate your position and your status by comparing yourself to others or using others for your own benefit, to climb some ladder that we feel is important, where we focus on our image and how others view us. And Paul says, not here. It doesn't belong here. Why? It's because this new community is not about self. It's about service. And it's only in light of God's mercy. It's only in light of what he has given to us in Jesus Christ that we will even begin to be renewed in the way that we think about ourselves and one another. Because we are all saved by the same measure of grace. No more and no less. We are all redeemed by Christ. Though many, we are all one body, members of one another. Because the price of admission into this community for each and every person is the death of God. And so how silly is it to boast in light of such grace? How silly is it to think of too highly of ourselves? How silly is it to not think or to think that that person is not worth my time? That person is not worth serving whenever they were deemed worthy by Jesus Christ of his own life and death. 
And so in that, we are called to be a humble community. And the church should be the humblest community of all because we know the cost of what it took for us to even be here in the first place. And because of God's mercy towards us, what do we do? We reflect that mercy towards one another. His mercy comes towards us and it bounces off us towards one another. We use our gifts, our talents, our abilities that God has given to each of us. And even if we don't have gifts or talents and abilities, then we simply offer our willingness to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another, for the life of one another. Because it's through service that we actually bring God into our relationships with one another. Because this whole machine falls apart This whole organism, this whole community will fall apart once God stops becoming the determining factor in our relationships towards one another. And it's in light of God's mercy all that he has done so that we might be reconciled. That is the determining factor for our church. That is the determining factor for who we are called to be as this new community. And as we understand that and we bring God more and more and more into our community, then we can bet that he will build us into something far more beautiful than anything that we could build for ourselves or any ideas we have about who and what we should be. Might we serve one another in the way that Christ has served us? How can we put all this together? I was talking with Mark this week. He's officially on my speed dial because we talk quite a bit now. And I was talking with him on uh, Wednesday evening, and he was telling me about a member of his church named Cesar. And Cesar plays trumpet in uh, their worship team. And he's very, very accomplished, and he's, he's very skilled. And uh, he was telling me that three years ago, whenever they moved to their current facility, they were meeting on Sunday mornings, but once they moved, they had to meet on Sunday evenings. And so Cesar, once this change happened, he came to Mark and the elders and he said, look, I can no longer longer play in the worship team. And the reason is because Cesar is a mariachi. He's actually a very accomplished mariachi. He's asked to play in the best mariachi bands in the DFW Metroplex. And he's highly sought after. But because he's a mariachi, he plays, he makes all of his money on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings. That's when he plays. And so he came to Mark and the elders, and he said, I, I can't do it anymore. This is how I provide for my family. And they said, we totally understand. We get it. Within the next week, Cesar showed up. And Mark said, what are you doing here? And he said, I've decided I'm still going to play. And Mark said, but don't you have to work? And he said, you know, today's the Lord's day. I'm offering my gifts to him, and I'm offering my gifts to you. I belong to him, and this all belongs to you. And he said, God will provide. And Mark said, he was blown away. He just put a third of his entire income in the balance just to show up and play trumpet in the worship team. And Mark said, I I will supplement. I will find money in the offering to supplement for you just to come and play. He said, I'm so blessed. And Cesar said, no, I don't want it. He said, this is my gift to the Lord. And to you, God will provide. And very soon, Cesar will be offering his gifts to us in this church. Rockwall Prez, we have a future. And it will be one 
where our motto will be, he must increase and we must decrease. Let's pray. Christ our Lord, we are humbled by your sacrifice for us as we come to your table this morning. Would you teach us how to bring you into our life more and more? Knowing that as we bring you in, yes, is it challenging and difficult, but does it bring life? And your word says it does and it will, that we can lay ourselves upon that altar and know that you do transform, you do bring new life. We ask that you would help us to be a place that constantly remembers the mercy that was extended to us at the cross of Jesus and that we would reflect that mercy, that kindness, and that grace towards one another and that you would truly build us into the beautiful people that you would have us be, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We ask that you would fill Rockwell Prez and all that we do in these coming weeks, months, and years. And we ask all this in your name. And everybody said... Amen.